we were caravanning at the time and we were somewhere in New South Wales and I remember getting a phone call from um, Arnie and he said, we have never had engagement on a survey like this before. Um, we And at the time he was like, we're at like just over a thousand people. And we still had like three or four weeks to go of people still participating. Previously, we discussed your experience with postnatal depression and anxiety mm-hmm. and how this created a burning desire in you to create a space where women could go to have all the love and care and help and support they need to get them through those really tricky postpartum times. Mm. Uh, but you also knew that, you know, if you wanted to bring something like, like this to life, you needed to do research to make sure that it was something that other women wanted as well as you. Yeah, I it needed to I needed some validation whether yeah. other women actually yeah. wanted something like this or was it just you? Just me. <laughs> yeah. Which I knew yeah. w- would not have been necessarily the case, but you know, to create something like this is a lot of effort and more importantly uh, there's a lot of dollars behind doing something like this yeah um because i know that there are many community run sort of things that have this essence but um at the scale and capacity that i wanted it to be i really needed to understand i needed to hear the voice of other women yeah and to understand what their journey want they wanted their journey to be yeah um so i jumped on the research (laughs) train (laughs) um so you engaged a business named Uh, the market Market intelligence Intelligence. yep Um, and um you interviewed over 1500 women yeah um it was quite a process again something that i had never um been exposed to in Mm -hmm. terms of research at this level. Um, So a dear mentor of mine, um, Campbell McIntosh, put me on to these people and Campbell had previously worked for BHP and used them there. And so I knew that I didn't want big corporate, but I also needed a company that knew what they were really doing because this was very much a make or I'm either doing this or I'm not. If women don't necessarily want this, then... I'm, yeah. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. So I needed to make a significant investment in this market research mm-hmm. to work out whether I was then going to be able to keep yeah. pushing the vision forward. Yeah. And just for context for anyone listening, um, this research, this survey, it surveyed 1,500 women. Yeah, we had just over 1,500 women all over Australia um, so this is not just a Victorian thing. Yeah. Uh, this is in the context of – so in research world, there are all of these barometers within which that the survey or the data becomes actually tangible. So um, 
the guys at Market Intelligence Research, they did a lot for New South Wales government, for the RBA, and they their research informed policy and policy changes. Mm-hmm. Um, so they would give me numbers around, you know, don't quote me, I think it's like you have to have a minimum of between five and 600 people participating actively in a survey for it to be qualified as you know, making large statements like 70% of Victorian or Australian women want, you know. So before the government can use it. So for it to be deemed usable by the government, it needs to have about a third of the number of participants that you had. Correct. So when we got the numbers back, um, I was really nervous because, again, this Mm. was a make or break. So. I was like, oh, my God, please let, we, let let us just get 500. Like if we get 500, that will be amazing. And um, we launched it in December of 2021 and it ran over um, I think five or six weeks. So it took it through into January of 2022. Um, and I we were caravanning at the time and we were somewhere in New South Wales And I remember getting a phone call from um, Arnie and he said, we have never had engagement on a survey like this before. Um, We, and at the time he was like, we're at like just over a thousand people. And we still had like three or four weeks to go of people still participating. So I was like, oh, thank you, universe, just thank you. Mm. I still didn't know whether it was a yes or a no, but just from the mere fact of how many participants we were getting. So I knew that the data that we were going to get was going to be um, very substantial. And then, yeah, in in the end it turned out that we had over 1,500 women participate And then I suppose the extra layer to just the, you know, filling out the data was the level of commentary and storytelling that each woman went into. So I I remember getting the full report in its rawness, not, you know, the nice summary. And I remember I sat there for three days reading every single woman's response and crying like a baby Mm -hmm. just at... I think it also gave me the sense of uh, I there there are really women who felt like I felt and worse and yeah. less and yeah. everything in between. Yeah. Um so it was a validation on many yeah. on many levels. Um so we surveyed women all around Australia mm-hmm. um between the ages of 18 and 50 um And, you know, obviously we also even broke it up into major cities and regional because this is another really important part of what we want to uh, establish at home are not just major city uh, bases and spaces. We also want to um, go out into the regional areas and support those women as well and families. Um, So we did everything from data like employment status, household structures, um, household income, country of origin, uh, ethnicity, origins, profession, number of children, birthing situations, length of hospital stays. Um, and then also like what they would have changed in 
in hospital. So um, I'll go through and just like go through some of the findings. Mm-hmm. I won't go through everything, but I think the biggest, so the biggest marker for me out of this is that there was almost 90%, I think we were just under 90% of women were highly likely and likely to use a facility like home. Yeah. So for me, that was like, okay. No brainer. We're doing this. Yeah. We're really doing this. Um, so that was probably the biggest takeout. And then, you know, obviously the voice of every woman was, I wish my experience had been different. Yeah. I wish I had have known that there was different support. I wish I had have known that there was support, full stop. Yeah. Um, and, and a common thread was that, yes, all of these postnatal things are talked about in anxiety, depression, all of these things, but there's some disconnect between everyone talking about it and knowing the statistics and something actually being done. Mm -hmm. And that really came out in all of this um, research. So, yeah, it, you know, we've got, I suppose, so 44% of women um, had given birth to at least one child um, and that was, and then, we, you know, we looked at like 43% had given birth in the last three years. So the the data is really quite um, up to date. Like women were still experiencing a lot of all of these feelings and symptoms. Um, we had a, I was really surprised we had an equal amount of women participating in the survey from Vic, New South Wales and Queensland. Mm. Um, From what I understand from the market research guys was that, you know, you always get a lot of feedback in New South Wales and Victoria, Um, Queensland not so much. But, you know, we even got, you know, a heap from South Australia, Western Australia, Um, women between the ages of 30 and 34 were probably our biggest mm-hmm. um, participants. The other thing that really surprised me, and it was interesting because we, when we were chatting the other day about this, I was really surprised at the health, private health insurance breakup. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. And I was talking to you and I was like, it was one stat that really I just <laughs> thought that everyone had private health insurance. Yeah. And it's actually like it's almost a 50-50 split across yeah. Australia. Um, and I was just really like, wow, okay. And, you know, the, and I think these sorts of things were um, really interesting to me because when I thought about, okay, well, you know, we'll have this specialist at home and we'll have this at home and this, and I was like, yeah, it's all rebatable, so it'll be fantastic. And then seeing that statistic changes details yeah. like that, you know, like, well, okay, so I can take that statistic and actually go, well, 50% of, I can say probably 50% of the women that will stay with us 
will not have private health insurance. Yeah. So how does that affect them? How does that change their journey and their experience? Um, I think the other thing that really came out of this for me, and it was always a thought at the start, but the other thing that really came out of this for me is that postnatal depression and anxiety and all of these postpartum issues don't discriminate. Oh, yeah. Right? So yeah. it affects all of us, yeah. regardless of your wealth status, your socioeconomic background, mm -hmm. all of that sort of stuff. Um, we all experience it. So um, home will not only be a pay-for-service business, but it will also uh, have a not-for-profit charitable arm to it. So it will be philanthropically funded and those – uh, funds will go towards women who can't afford the stay mm -hmm. to be able to stay and be cared for in exactly the same way that yep. the care is equal across yep. the board. Um, and that was a real fundamental for me that I wanted every woman yep. to be able to access. That was also fundamental for me joining joining yeah. you Yeah, because I come from a very different background where <laughs> most people I know don't have private health yeah. insurance. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, I think it's really important to be able to make this care accessible to everyone. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we were, we were getting lots of different data. Um, it was interesting at the time, 98% of women are giving birth in hospital. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think this speaks a lot to, the system's approach and advice and all of this mm -hmm. external matter that really affected me th in my experience, you know, there, there needs to be a shift yeah. um, in the hospital system, in that caring capacity. And I'm not, I can't put my finger on what that is but there has to be a shift mm -hmm. there because if we've got 98% of women giving birth in hospital, we're, we're <laughs> yeah. 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 Um. Mm. Um, you know, and there wasn't a lot of, you know, I think now if I had my time again, I would 100% have a birth doula as yeah. well as a postpartum yeah. doula. Um, and whether I still chose to be in hospital, I would still want to have, I would still want to have a doula there. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, I think a lot of people think that birth doulas are something you have if you have a home birth, but yeah, no, they can you need hospital. them in hospitals so that they can advocate for you when you are being told by your care providers to do things that might not necessarily be serving you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, recently there was the birth trauma inquiry mm. that opened up mm -hmm. and to be fair, it wasn't very widely spread. A lot of people didn't know about it. Yeah. Um, but submissions closed yesterday and day before, sorry, submissions closed earlier this week and they had over 4,000 people report on their birth trauma mm. and that's just the people who knew about it yeah, and who had portion. the courage to speak up. A lot of people don't even want to go back there. They don't want to revisit what happened because it's so that's traumatic. Um, so the fact that that many people mm. have submitted 
stories about birth trauma happening in hospital environments shows that there's a really big problem. Yeah. And this is no shade to any of the amazing care providers out yeah, there. Yeah, no, It's this is yeah. not where we are not against the midwives or the obstetricians. Oh, God, We're against no. the system that's putting these people under so much work pressure and stress and yeah. making it difficult for them to give birthing people the level of care they require. And I think the change that we can affect is, you know, these systems are hard to get into and shake up, right? And so I think what what home strives to achieve is let's try and change that where we can have influence and that is starting to have women turn inward Mm -hmm. and if you are going to go into that environment understanding what that voice in you wants and wants to say Mm -hmm. you know even like my second time around I was in the hospital still had all, all the same healthcare professionals around me but my voice was very different yeah I knew what I wanted, I knew my body a bit better and I knew what I didn't want. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is another piece of the change that we can affect Mm -hmm. is really just starting to have those conversations to women about it's okay, you do have a voice in this and you inherently know your own body. Mm -hmm. You just need that stillness to come back to yourself. Yeah. So the other thing that um, stood out was we did ask women, uh, not specifically if they were diagnosed with postnatal depression or anxiety, but if they felt they had different symptoms. Um, And again, overwhelmingly, there was 78% of women that said they experienced one or more symptoms of postnatal depression and anxiety. Um, And, you know, and then, you know, just some of the commentary that we were getting um, in different parts of the survey, I'll I'll just read out. So um, more support with sleep and breastfeeding, more recognition that twins are a multiple birth um, and could really use additional support. I think we, you know, (laughs) we take for granted and forget those women that are having those multiple births. Um, more empathy and tailored support, more positive language rather than Mm -hmm. negative traditional terms and attitudes, Uh, regular home visits of breastfeeding specialist or midwife arranged by the hospital. So, you know, there there is genuinely this call for like, and and it's not any, these are not, like breastfeeding is a fundamental, Mm -hmm. more care and support at home is a fundamental. So they're not... It's not excessive. No, we're not talking excessive excessive. requests. It's just basic needs that other countries fulfil quite quite well. Yeah, longer hospital stay or suggestions to support recovery, e.g. iron, vitamins to support blood loss. Mm. You know, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Did you get a six-week blood test? No. no. (laughs) Yeah. No. Yeah, exactly. What is that? See, even now I'm almost 11 years on and I'm like, what is that? Yeah. So these were just some of the voices of the women throughout the survey. And like, I, you know, I've read out three or four, but there were genuinely over 1500 of these comments and then 
stories at the end. They had yeah. an opportunity to write um, and it was really interesting. I even had women um, that, you know, their children were a lot older, the minutiae of detail that they still carried mm-hmm. within them in detailing their stories was incredible. Yeah. They say nobody ever forgets how they were treated during birth mm. and nobody ever forgets how they felt in their postpartum mm. unless, of course, they block it out because it was so traumatic. Mm. Yeah. So I think the overwhelming feedback um, that we got is that women want women want a space like this. Mothers are crying out actually mm-hmm. for this help and support. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was really the all I needed to be able to just keep putting one foot in front of the other and mm-hmm. and keep creating this vision for women. So I suppose there's still a frustration around like why does this not exist? Mm-hmm. Why do we still not have this? And why do we not have it in abundance? Yeah. Um, I think that that's still to this day that's still my – I still don't yeah. understand I why this doesn't exist. Like people forget, you mm. know, you the – the baby days, it's its all so fleeting and some people have a baby and it changes something fundamentally inside them and mm. they they find themselves on a mission to make the world a better place and to support people after they have babies. But other people, they forget either because it was so traumatic that they don't want to go back there yeah. or because they're just so, you know, parenthood is just mm. so intense. Every phase of parenthood has so many challenges and so many joys and sometimes people just get wrapped up in that next phase and they're forgetting that that friend that's got a newborn might need food dropped on their doorstep or, mm. you know, some words of encouragement or a reminder that there's a lactation consultant available if they need one, the you know. Village. The village. It's just, oh, everyone's so busy, everyone's working so much, everyone's trying to raise families, trying to pay mortgages, trying to do all yeah. these things and it's just so easy you to forget. forget. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. So I suppose um, the next time we speak, it will, you know, we'll start talking about the vision and the movement and how it is um, supported by the community and what what it all looks like. This podcast represents the opinions of our hosts and their guest speakers. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. This podcast is for informational purposes only and content here should not be taken as medical or professional advice. Please consult your healthcare professional for any personal recommendations and medical care. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate based on the best available information at the time of recording, we welcome any comments, suggestions or feedback via our website contact form, home.com.au forward slash contact. Names and details of personal experiences may have been changed to allow for anonymity and privacy. To join the conversation, join us on social media at Home Postpartum.